0: Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. It is a delight to do so, as we always do every Monday, with uh, the great Brandon J. Weikert, author of several books, Winning Winning Space, How America Reigns Superpower, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He is also a columnist for all the important papers from The Washington Times to The Asia Times to American Greatness. Uh, delight to have you back, Brandon. You're always uh, loaded for bear. And, uh, you know, I was just I was thinking about i was thinking about your book, um, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Maybe you need to write an, a fourth book, America's Need to Quest for Supremacy or something like that. America's <laughs> Quest for Supremacy. You know, the more I look at our foreign and domestic policies, the more I'm thinking we're becoming the kind of country we used to send missionaries to.
1: Uh well the the Nigerian uh, Anglican or the Nigerian Episcopalian Church has been sending missionaries to England yeah. for the last yeah. 10 years yeah, so right. it really wouldn't be
0: that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Think about that America's quest for supremacy. We used yeah. to we we used to kind of maintain it uh and and with some degree of obviousness I understand you're working on a couple pieces in regard to that yeah. but before we do that a little domestic stuff. Um you know the world of classified intelligence you know the world of uh the mean that distinguishes between top secret and you know about overclassification you know about intelligence reports and pd uh, pdbs um how serious in your estimation is the story with uh joe biden and what i'm calling corvette gate or Corvigate <laughs> because it sounds like a toothpaste um <laughs> It, it is serious in certain respects and i think we're missing the ball in others but i'd love i'd love i'd love your take on where we are now and how damaging will it be to his presidency
1: yeah well first of all he does have a beautiful corvette yeah, that car sure. is yeah. uh, is beautiful yeah. um, but unfortunately as beautiful and pristine as that vehicle is that is not a safe place for classified documents um and uh I think I think Roger Kimball called it the Corvette standard. Um mm-hmm. uh, it might have been and maybe it was I don't I think it was him who said that at A G. Uh but the bottom line is, is that this is both the most obscene, uh flagrant abuse that we've seen in the you know, just a few months ago the FBI literally raided Mar-a-Lago mm-hmm. over this same issue. Um so it's very obscene in that way, the double standard and the hypocrisy. Um, But it is, as you noted, it's also kind of just goofy that this is what we're reduced to getting angry about. The fact that it's a seven-day
0: story now. I mean, this has been headlines for seven days. Yeah, it's
1: going to be longer than McCarthy's speaker battle at this rate. Yeah, Um, you know, it's and it's not going to end because what's going to happen? I'm predicting is they're going to find that there's a lot more going on here. Um, And so, on the one hand, it is kind of petty and silly. Uh, it's too bad we're not talking about the fact that Biden closed the FBI's China uh, initiative, for instance. We're not talking about some of the, I think, the bigger kind of big ticket item things. But ultimately, um, this is indicative of a big problem that the Democrats have, which is that their whole kind of party um, platform since 2016 has been never Trump. Yeah. Orange man always bad, yeah. uh, no matter what. Look well, how careless he have,
0: is, yeah, right.
1: Right, now here we have the, the, the standard bearer, for better or worse, probably worse, of the Democratic Party, Joe Biden, um, replicating the exact same behavior that not only Donald Trump was accused of having you know, engaged in, uh, but also, by the way, that Hillary Clinton was engaged yeah. in. Well, um, and so we do, you know, we, if we were living in a sane world, Trump would have never been rated for this. And this would be a non-issue for Biden. Right. But because Biden escalated, he on the eve of the election in 2022 purposely escalated uh, this thing in Mar-a-Lago. This absolutely now is a controversy. It should be especially when you consider that many of those documents, they weren't housed at his personal property. They were housed at his so-called think tank at University of Pennsylvania, which, oh, by the way, just so happens to be a Chinese slush uh, fund.
0: I was talking with Pete so, Peterson about this on Friday. Yeah. He's over at Pepperdine, and he was just gobsmacked. You know, he's in the school and university fundraising business, of course, and he was gobsmacked by how much money from China was flowing into the Biden Center at Penn. That's a, that's the story we're missing. What right. uh, He said the amount of money they raised from China – In four years.
1: Oh, it's cartoonish.
0: He said that amount of money is basically some major college's entire endowments built up over decades.
1: Oh, he's 100 percent correct. And you have to wonder just what the heck were they hoping to get? You know, we go back to the Clinton Global Initiative, right? You know, they look at all the money that the world's great nations gave to the CGI in the run-up to the 2016 campaign they were clearly hoping to curry favor with who they thought was going to be the next president of the united states um you know this is the same thing going on with the biden syndicate except um we have a very clear line between america's number one geopolitical foe china and now the current president of the united yep. states and his entire family yeah. including extended relatives His brother, Tony Blinken, by the
0: way, by the way, was the executive director of the center for a while as well. Right.
1: Which is which is why you just have to ask yourself whenever the Biden administration, Tony Blinken in particular, comes out and wags the finger at China. How serious does Beijing really think this is? Is They're probably assuming we've already bought and paid for these people. This is just all for show for domestic political consumption. Well, now this story about classified documents and who had access, and the fact that there was no real catalog of who was accessing this information uh, for the last six years, that now is going to, I think, bring the attention, I hope, to the American people that, there's something more going on here. And I do not what, buy it, the
0: story that they don't have visitor logs. I'm not buying it. I'm just not buying right. the story but they don't have well, visitor logs. Well, maybe they
1: logs. don't for a reason. Maybe they do. Or for they a don't for
0: a reason. Okay.
1: Right. And and the fact plausible of that deniability
0: is, they used to call that. right. Yes.
1: And and they, better to feign ignorance. Right. Oops, I should have had that yeah. rather than have, yeah. have it. Yeah. But another another thing is if they could go after Trump for having a Miss Universe pageant in 2013 in Russia right. as being Indicative of him being a Russian spy. Yes, that's right. That's uh, then, then the exact same standard now has to be applied to Biden, where there's an even clearer cut example of impropriety on his part. And now there needs to be a special investigation uh, launched, just like there was with Mueller into Russia and Trump. There now needs to be at least the same amount of, of investigatory powers granted to an independent investigator uh, to go after Biden for any imp- you know impropriety. Uh, related to to China. Now is the time. I hate to say this because it seems petty, but I'm actually starting to think there's something more here. uh, And we need to investigate. And this should lead to, as my Congressman Byron Donalds has said at um, Joy Reid's show, this needs to lead to some kind of impeachment proceeding, because what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If they could go after Trump for far less, we're going to go after him. Uh, uh, for for even
0: more. I, I, I don't know how long you were in the Beltway. Uh, you're not now, blessedly. But Too long. You, well, I was just thinking <laughs> probably between us, at least we've covered over two decades together yeah. in the Beltway. And uh, you've been there more recently than I. But what explains to you the sudden interest in something that, uh, by the media, that never used to get their Irish up, that is to say the double standard? It is a little bit interesting how much they have sunk their teeth into this. I don't know if it's because they feel Karan Jean-Pierre has lied to them. They hate being lied to. There's something different about this.
1: They only hate being lied to when it's a Republican.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> they don't. They don't All right. So you agree Never, something different is going yeah. on here. No, so
1: I think, and I think you, you've pointed this out. I think Hannity's pointed this out. Other people have pointed this out. And I think I, I also have pointed this out in the last week. I think Victor Davis Hanson did as well, is that there is a possibility that the so-called deep state has decided to turn on Joe Biden two years before his next election uh, because they don't want to have this, this old, doddering, compromised individual uh, uh, running against what could be either Donald Trump, who will have a degree of popularity among a certain base of voter, that will make him very competitive, or Ron DeSantis, who I think has a widespread appeal. Yeah. So they're looking to remove Biden, I think, prematurely, so that uh, they can put someone else. Whether I don't know if it would be Kamala, it might very well be someone like Gavin Newsom. But newsflash, Biden is actually in his defense the only Democrat that has proven able now, to consistently beat the Republicans. That's a fair under point.
0: Trump. It's a fair. All right, let me take a quick break. Brandon Weicker will be is our guest, and he and I will be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. Uh, he is the publisher of The Weichert Report. He spells his last name W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. You can also follow him on Twitter at WeTheBrandon. Really fascinatingly uh, great Twitter feed, Twitter account. Brandon, I was reading somewhere today, I don't recall where, how many people have security clearances in this country. I was shocked how... Great that number was one of the things I was hoping, and maybe this is hope against hope. you tell me with uh, with the new Congress is we might get some hearings on some of the people who have been abusing them and you know leveraging or waging their uh, their 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 access to previous intelligence posts, you know, your John Brennans into making Americans believe when they speak. It's not just smoke, it's fire when it's about Republicans or Donald Trump. I I don't know if we'll ever get there, but something about these former NATSEC and Intel uh, officials that uh, have gotten these lucrative jobs on MSNBC and CNN that have served as handmaidens of Adam Schiff is something about (laughs) that stinks, too, doesn't it?
1: Well, it's it's not just those guys. It's not just the top dog. Okay, lowly individuals. Um, have started entire consulting firms in northern Virginia where they get uh, government contracts to basically spread this disinformation, um, or at least inaccurate information, uh, because of the fact that they once held security clearances. Um, And so I think that that's a huge problem uh, for people like you and I who are truly interested in the truth uh, and yeah, we're Republicans, but I mean, I, I'm assuming you as well. But like me, uh, we do try to kind of live in reality. Yeah. And in terms of my what I do with the government when I consult, is I try to give them my take based on the most known, widely available facts. Um, a lot of people now have access, top secret clearance, uh, and they can manipulate, and yeah. they can fudge, yeah. and they can do things. Yeah. Um, because they have a political agenda, um, and, and it's, it's wrong. It shouldn't be allowed. Uh, I, I've always said that, A, way too many people have classified access, yep. and, B, we also though, do have a problem in this country with overclassification. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, that's the one thing I actually agree with Hillary Clinton on when yep. she was during the 2016 yep. campaign was complaining about that, yep. Um, of course, there's a way to go about rectifying that. She, <laughs> she was awfully quiet when way. it
0: came to Mar-a-Lago, right? though, wasn't she? Right, yeah, right. Of right. right.
1: Right. But, but, you know, there's a way to go about changing that. And so it would be nice to have our Congress and Senate force that change, especially when you consider there is a minimum of a two-year waiting time for people to receive classified clearances. And that means for two years, potential new talent for our Intel services. Uh, have to wait in limbo because they can't get a job until they're cleared. And there's such a backlog at places like OPM uh, that that the the security clearance process is laborious. Ted Cruz has talked about this in detail for many years. And so what we should be doing is streamlining that process, reducing the level of classification, and also probably reducing the amount of people in the intelligence community who actually need access to this stuff. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. Well, let's now take it to real national security and and try and take some of the politics out of it. Um, You wrote uh, you've been writing a lot. And I know you're working on some pieces now with regard to uranium, with regard to where we're taking the eye off the ball. And a lot of it emanates, really, from a series of inconsistent and conflicting policies with regard to the Middle East, right? Right. Talk, talk to us right. a little bit about that.
1: Well, and as you know, and again, it looks, it looks like we've, we've decided on a March 28th. Remember, we had originally said October of last year, but we pushed it back. So the Shadow War is coming out March 28th. Good. Uh, and uh, so this is sort of the basis of my second book which is that we've been, yes, inconsistent in the Middle East generally, but specifically the greatest threat in the Middle East remains Iran. Mm -hmm. And we have taken our eye off that particular ball, particularly when Democrats are in power, Because the Democrats have this fanciful notion that the Iranian regime, the Islamist regime of Iran, that all of that, you know, death to America stuff, that's just for the hoi polloi. That's just for the the lowly people in the street, that really the Iranian Islamists are totally reasonable, and they really don't want to kill us. This is the kind of rhetoric that our elite engaged in when talking about Hitler. Uh, You know, it's that, you know, they can be reasoned with, just, just give them a seat at the table and they'll be fine. Yeah. Well, they're not. And what we're finding now, if you remember a few weeks ago, I wrote the article at American Greatness breaking the story that it looked like a shipment of weapons-grade uranium from Iran to their friends, the Houthi rebels in Yemen, yep. uh, was intercepted by none other than al-Qaeda. This so was our Al-Qaeda. discussion
0: about suitcase bombs, if I recall. That's right. Yep.
1: That's right. And now it was revealed about three days ago in the British papers that the British um, counterterrorism forces intercepted another shipment of weapons-grade uranium coming originally from Iran through Oman up to Pakistan and finally ending up at Heathrow International Airport oh. in London oh. and they've intercepted it's a small amount now they were they're speculating that this might have been used by Iran's proxies operating in Britain to poison a potential dissident who remains unnamed much like how the Russians poisoned, uh, I, I forget the name yeah, of the gentleman. Yeah, I know who you mean.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, Chenko. yeah, right.
1: Yes, this is exactly, they used uranium right. to do it. Um, however, my theory is a little bit different. I think that we know from the IAEA uh, that the, uh, the Iranians have enough uranium to make a very small amount of atomic weapon. So they can't build the kind of arsenal they need to wage war on their neighbors, but they have enough nuclear material and they have a big enough supply chain globally illicitly uh, to move this stuff around so that they can move parts of their nuclear weapons platform to into the hands of groups like the Houthis in Yemen like the Hezbollah terrorist group in Lebanon to wage war on their regional proxy on their regional enemies rather for the Houthis it would be the Saudis and for the Hezbollah types it would be Israel and i think what they're doing is they're pre-positioning small amounts of uranium into the future, the coming soon-to-be uh, battlefield of the Middle East, and they're going to let their proxies launch dirty bomb attacks against targets in Saudi Arabia, possibly like Abtake, uh, oil-processing facility that will effectively spike the price of oil, permanently and force Iranian uh, oil uh, onto the market. Uh, and allow for Iran to get money from that. And then also I think they might be planning to let Hezbollah with the precision missile project that they've been helping them build in Lebanon and Syria to basically marry some uranium or fissile material onto a precision-guided weapon and hit the port of Haifa uh, with a dirty bomb-type weapon that would effectively knock out uh, Israel's ability to do uh, maritime trade, uh, they could use that to target key infrastructure to knock out uh, the Israeli economy And that's the key thing here is waging more effective, more deadly, more devastating warfare upon America's allies in the region in an effort to defeat them through unconventional methods and push the Americans out of the region permanently.
0: Let me, let me hit the break, Brandon, and come back on this. I want to talk to you about that foreign policy, but also a natural question many in this audience would have, and I'm sure you've thought about, which is, you know, those Tehran Caracas to Venezuela flights yeah. continue. Should we worry about it on our southern terror border too? Yeah, yeah, let me talk to you about that when we come back. Brandon Weikert and I'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest, author of Winning Space, The Shadow War, um, Iran's Quest for Supremacy coming out in about a month or so, and of course, uh, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. Uh, Talking about Iran and uh, exporting uh, uranium, Brandon, you had outlined a few different scenarios and locales abroad. Do we need to worry about this at our southern border, uh, frankly? We have Absolutely. the Iran, and, we have the Iran or the Tehran yeah. uh, Caracas flights, direct flights going on. Uh, I think right. you know apace.
1: right? Yeah, one hundred percent. Iran since the eighties has made a big play uh, to basically capture much of Latin America. They initially were gained, they gained access to Venezuela actually originally by going through Castro's regime. In Cuba, which had very close ties with right. the Shavism regime. Right. Uh, and so you're talking about the, the aero terror, yeah. aero terror rather, right. uh, uh, flights, which are diplomatic flights. Or any method uh, which,
0: of delivery, my God. I, right. I mean, it doesn't. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, sure.
1: and furthermore, so yeah, this has gone on for about 30, 20, 30 years. So Iran has scores of agents throughout Latin America working on destabilizing the regimes there. Uh, and replacing them or or weakening them uh, to hurt the United States in their own backyard. There's also, and you know I talk about this in the shadow work, you read the advanced copy, there's also um, a real concern the last few years that uh, the Iranians have been trying to move some of those precision-guided missiles that they've been helping Hezbollah build to use against Israel, that they might be trying to do the same thing to Venezuela, where they're helping the Venezuelans possibly build similar systems with which to threaten the United States. Now, that would be suicide for the Venezuelans, which is why there's some skepticism in Washington that, yeah, maybe the Iranians want to do it, but the Venezuelans won't let them. Mm -hmm. But we, we don't know because we don't have enough access anymore. We're being pushed out of our own hemisphere. Furthermore, we know that the Iranians have conducted all kinds of covert missions throughout the region, especially in the tri-border area, that area where Argentina, mm-hmm. um, was Peru, and Chile, I mm-hmm, think, mm-hmm, all meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, uh, in 2017, I was told of an ongoing operation to protect, was it the presidency of Paraguay? Mm-hmm, or was mm-hmm, it mm-hmm, Uruguay or mm-hmm, Paraguay? Mm-hmm. But basically, there the, the Israelis, Mossad was involved trying to help them. Uh, to spend off what sounded like an attempt by the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps to basically regime change uh, in uh, Paraguay, mm-hmm. and so you have a lot of destabilizing effects by Iran because they're basically trying to create this sort of arc of instability from you know the Middle East across the Atlantic into the South America region. So they can better threaten the United States, and then, of course, yes, our broken South. It just feels like we've
0: been here before. It feels like we were we've been here before throughout the nineteen eighties with Carlos Absolutely. the Jackal walking, Absolutely. strutting strutting Central America. I mean, it just feels like we have done this yes. before.
1: Well, and furthermore, now we have training Iran FARC
0: and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yes, and furthermore, now we well remember in two thousand eight or nine. Uh, the, the When Chavez was still alive, yep. there was almost that uh, Andean war yep. between Venezuela and their allies in Ecuador yep. versus Colombia yep. because Colombia went after the leadership of FARC right. because FARC was sending, they were illegally mining uranium. <laughs> and the U.S. The tried to
0: put a damper on it, as I recall. Yes, yes, yes.
1: And so they were mining uranium to give to uh, Iran, mm-hmm. to their nuclear weapons program. So all of this is to say is that this is a gaping Weakness, Uh, And it's not just Iran that's exploiting it, by the way. China and Russia have been exploiting heavily for at least a decade our uh, weakness in Latin America. And now with all of these shifts to the left in places like Brazil, all throughout the region, you now have the openings of a political uh, new alliance between Latin American countries that are now run by anti-American socialist regimes and countries like Iran, Russia and China. They're taking over our part of the world at precisely the moment, especially in the case of Iran, that we're retreating from the Iranian part. Yeah, the the
0: red-green axis is not just ideological. It's now becoming kinetic. Let me take a quick commercial break. I want to pick up on the Middle East with you when I come right back. Um, let me put in a word for uh, our friends at Y-Refi. If you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return and it's not correlated to the stock market, a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises, where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal, if you need your money back at any time. I want you to check out Y-Refi. They have a por- an investment in a portfolio that is secure and collateralized and delivers a high fixed rate of return up to 10.25%. That's right, ten and a quarter Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-Refi-34. That's 888-Y-Refi-34. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest, as uh, fertile a mind there is on uh, foreign and defense national security policy. His books are "Winning Space," "The Shadow War," "Biohacked." He writes for the Asia Times, the Washington Times, "American Greatness," and um, he uh, runs a, uh, a great a great Twitter feed at We the Brandon. We the Brandon. Uh, Brandon, Okay, so in thinking through inconsistent policies, uh, foreign policies, which is where we kind of started this discussion with respect, particularly to the Middle East, um, what what does a Middle East, a consistent Middle East policy look like? Um, It seems to me that a lot of administrations have this dream of creating the phrase peace in the Middle East. It seems nearly elusive. It seems nearly elusive because the priorities tend to be wrong, and we tend to kind of forget the distinction between allies and enemies, pro-American and anti-American. But that's that's my prejudice. I, I wonder how you see all this.
1: Correct. There's a reason that the closest we ever got to real Mideast peace in the last 40 years was the Abraham Accord mm-hmm. uh, that Trump helped to usher in, which was basically— we basically recognized who our friends in that region were and who our enemies were. Mm-hmm. And we said that whatever problems we have with our friends in that region, and we've got problems with them, um, it's not a perfect region. We're never going to have a great, perfect Western-style democracy. That's not the kind of culture that emanates there. The closest we have is Israel, and obviously some people have problems with their Palestine you know, policy. But oh well. What Trump said is that we need Israel, we need the Sunnis, we need particularly the Saudi uh, government on our side, and so we're going to not make these kind of human rights issues the centerpiece of our foreign policy in the Middle East. If you are and want to be a friend of the Americans, we will welcome you with open arms as long as you do a couple things. The first is share our enemies. Notably Iran, but also the terrorists—you know, Al Qaeda, ISIS, and the like—and the rest will figure it out. And mm-hmm. and you got to let the oil flow, mm-hmm. and th- that's all good. That's 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 what we need. How do we keep the peace? It's not by invading endlessly. Allah, George. Smith bus. It's not by, you know, having, you know, multiple Muslim countries under constant bombardment like Barack Obama did with the drones or when he tried to destabilize the region in the Arab Spring. It's also not to hand the region over to an explicit and avowed enemy of the United States like Iran. It's not to hit the chicken switch and run away. The, the solution, and I articulate this clearly in the Shadow War, the solution is clear. You have to have the American power backstop and support a more united Israel-Sunni-Arab front in the region to contain Iran and to go after those shared terrorist threats, to maybe enhance trade and connectivity you know, along the way among those powers that will benefit America in the long run? Great. But the key thing here is it has to be a defensive approach, kind of like the approach we had against the Soviet Union in Europe with creating NATO— There has to be a containment of Iran's growing power uh, in the region, as well as the containment of al-Qaeda, ISIS, and other terrorist threats that threaten pretty much everybody. It threatens the Saudi regime. It threatens our country, obviously, and it threatens Israel as well. So those two security issues need to be the unifier of a uh, defensive alliance that's predicated on deterrence and containment, as the NATO alliance was in Europe against the Soviet Union, the Cold War. We have not gotten there yet. We started to under Trump, but then Biden started reversing that because the fanatics in his administration insist on holding Saudi Arabia and Israel to these ridiculous human rights standards that no Middle East power ever will be able to achieve.
0: And it's a bit blinkered, I have to say, because if human rights is the concern, you can find those violations in Iran just as easily as you can find them in almost any country in the Middle East but Israel.
1: I mean look, Trump wasn't wrong when he told one of the interviewers when they were talking about Putin being a killer and he said, Look, we're killers too.
0: Yeah. I had offended
1: a lot of people, but you know you know, we have oh. we have also violated human rights, and oh. that's the standard. Oh. And Jimmy Carter says it all the time, and it's not something that – so I don't even think that's a legitimate standard to go off of yeah. because nations do what they have to to protect themselves and their interests. And that's what the key thing here. What is our interest? We have to keep that oil flowing, especially now that, yet again, under Biden, we've become so dependent on international oil. We're going to have to keep that oil flowing so that we can maintain a degree of affordability of that vital product. We have to keep the ocean lanes open, and therefore, we've got to prevent terrorism from running amok, and we've got to stop Iran from dominating the region. And that makes us natural allies of Israel and the Sunni Arabs, as led by the Saudis.
0: I only have about a minute and a half left with you, or a couple minutes maybe, um, if we can eke it out here, <laughs> Bill, note to my producer. But, you know, one country you didn't mention, and it's not in the Middle East, but the Middle East has been in it, uh, and that is Afghanistan, where, right. you know, yes, you're you're right uh, in, in, in the certain condemnations of the W and subsequent administrations. But we did fight a war there, only to turn it back to those we fought a war against.
1: Right. In, in in putting it, basically, we lost to the Taliban. Okay, I mean that's what happened. That's it. You know, if war is uh, you know politics through other means, which is what von Clausewitz said. Then the political objective should have only ever been to weaken the Taliban and to destroy Al Qaeda. What we did was we weakened Al Qaeda in Afghanistan and we restored by default the Taliban to power. So our political objective failed because we didn't destroy either al-Qaeda or the Taliban. Yeah. In fact, we lost the Taliban. Yeah. So that's a very hard reality that, that we're going to have to accept on a political level. Um, Iran, by the way, has very good relations with the Taliban government. So does China. China actually has a huge, I think, what is it, lithium mine or mm-hmm. copper mine mm-hmm. uh, in Afghanistan. Russia has very good relations, believe it or not, with the Taliban now.
0: Yeah, we, uh, we don't. Fact, we're the country that we doesn't. Don't. Yeah.
1: And in fact, the entire sort of all these this arc of instability that we've been subjected to since 2020, 2021 has been because of our precipitous, disastrous uh, abandonment of Afghanistan. Our enemies looked at that and said, oh, my goodness, it's going to be open season on the Americans. Putin goes into Ukraine partly because of that. China's banging the drum against India and Taiwan because of that. Uh, And the Iranians are now looking at starting this unconventional, asymmetrical, region-wide war in the Middle East because they think we're on the ropes and we're failing everywhere, including in Ukraine, as we've talked about before.
0: Well, Brandon, um, I don't call you to get good news, but I do call you to get the news. Um, And it's so important what you're doing. And uh, me and this audience, I and this audience, we... Not only respect the hell out of you, we look forward to these visits every Monday um, to the well, degree we, uh, we, will, um, we will stop this, uh, this stuff. It's the degree to which we and our D.C. professionals listen to you. You are an invaluable resource to this country, Brandon. Thank, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. You betcha. Bye-bye. I am Seth Liebson. I'll come back with a closing thought. We'll be right back. Some of your afternoon with us, uh, we appreciate it deeply. A day pregnant with news and a celebration uh, appropriate. Um, if you listen to my monologue, I'm not so sure that the celebration, which was appropriate, uh, was appropriated, uh, was celebrated appropriately. The celebration, which was appropriate, was not celebrated appropriately. But we did our best to do that here. I, I, I will close with some final words from Martin Luther King himself in his last speech in Memphis. A reminder, again, um, you're not getting this from Ibram Kendi, you're not getting it from Barack Obama, you're not getting it from Al Sharpton, you're not getting it from the talking heads on CNN and MSNBC. But this man loved this country, and we would do well to listen to him.
1: All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. <laughs> Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the
0: right to protest far right. The greatness of America found in our founding documents. Our founding documents were not meant to be decimated. They weren't meant to be denounced. They were meant to be lived up to. And that, too, I believe, was part of his dream. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I am Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed.